Are you ready for a travel adventure? How about an exciting trip to Venice or an exhilarating experience in Bangkok? Maybe you were more about a culinary adventure in Barcelona or just a relaxing day cruising the canals of Amsterdam. Join the Professor Travel as he invites you on an epic excursion, one that has you traveling the globe with him. Come and experience a world of culture, a world of history and architecture, a world of food and experiences to broaden your mind and save you time and money as you travel. Learn more, discuss more, travel more, and enjoy life more. And now your host, The Professor Travel. Greetings, students, and welcome to this next episode of The Professor Travel. I am The Professor Travel coming to you from Southern California. Uh, this is the website, the podcast, the vlog that you go to in order to learn more about different destinations, to discuss more as a community, to really travel more and enjoy life more. You can reach me through a variety of different uh, social media. Um, always you can reach me through my website, which is um, at theprofessortravel.com. You could also find me on YouTube and Facebook, also at that exact, exact same location at The Professor Travel. Um, through Instagram, I can be reached at the underscore professor underscore travel on twitter i can be reached at the professor tr1 and at blogspot if you're a blogger uh, you can reach me at the professor travel.blogspot.com today i have the privilege of introducing you to our visiting professor katie montgomery katie say hi to the students for me hi everyone <laughs> thanks for joining me katie um, now before we get started my students might want to know a little bit about your credentials uh, so normally when I'm talking with a visiting professor, I, they just want to know a little bit maybe about your educational background and maybe some places that you've traveled. Can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek at uh, maybe some of your educational background and some of your travels? Sure. Um, so I live in outside New York City and I am almost 40. That's really scary. But um, <laughs> I have uh, an MBA and an undergraduate um, in chemistry and I work for a cosmetic company. So I work in the R&D field right now, but it's not, I don't actually do any of the experiments. Um, but ever since I was little, I love to travel. Um, and lately, my job has given me the opportunity to travel to a lot of really fun places. Um, so that's been really great. But also, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that we always do is during the summer or during the time between Christmas and New Year's, we always try to book one really big, exciting um, vacation. Um, to a place that we've never been before or to at least a couple locales that we've never been to before. Um, and it's something that I'll look forward to all year and we do a lot of planning. Um, so it's kind of my favorite thing to do. In fact, I think I met you on a recent excursion that we both took together in August, which was a cruise in Italy, wasn't it? Yes, that was. And, was um, and <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Was that was that your was that your yearly excursion with your wife? Yes, that was um, like our big vacation for the year. We had traveled a little bit in Italy prior to getting on the cruise, um, so it was really great. And the cruise itself was very relaxing and sounds wonderful right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because you guys are dealing with a little bit of cold weather on the East Coast right now, right? Yes, we're in the middle of a big snowstorm. Oh well, my my love to you from Southern California. Um, <laughs> Now, just so you're aware, um, the picture I'm using from uh, uh, to show my students what you look like is, I believe, a picture from a museum in Berlin that you were that you had. Um, I love the picture. I, I, I don't know much about it. So in the future, we're going to have to learn a little bit more about some of your other travels. OK. Yeah, of course. 
That was a that was a couple of years ago, but Berlin's one of my favorite cities. Well, I'm definitely going to want to go there sometime. I've been to Rostock, which is just on the east uh, Berlin side, but I actually did not go to Berlin when I was over in Germany. Uh, but I definitely want to uh, learn more about that. But the purpose of this vlog and this podcast, we want to learn a little bit more about Monte Carlo. Um, it's a kind of a unique place that not a lot of people I know go to that often. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, why you decided to get this trip to Monte Carlo? So, um, as I said, I, I work in the cosmetic industry and we amazingly enough have a factory in Monte Carlo. Um, so I've been to the principality of Monaco a couple of times. Um, and each time we always try to pack on at least a day to do some exploring in and around Monaco. But um, it's been kind of one of the nice perks of my job to be able to go somewhere um, like Monaco. It's definitely not a country that I think a lot of people put on their bucket list of like, I want to go there. Um, it's also, I think a lot of people don't understand how small it is and um, also just how beautiful it is. But it's when you're there, you think of it as this like very glamorous location from like the James Bond movies or or whatever. And then you see these kids walking around and you're like, wow, they actually live in Monaco and are like going to school. <laughs> so it's very, it seems very surreal, but um, I was there at the right around um, mid or beginning of October this year. Um, so it was still nice, warm and sunny there while on the East coast, we were starting to hit fall. Ew. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how long in advance did you need to plan for this trip? Um, getting to Monte Carlo is really relatively straightforward. Um, even though it's not really part of the EU, it's, um, it still follows all the same EU travel, um, guidelines. So you could, as long as you booked uh, a flight in advance, I would say all you need is maybe two weeks, maybe less. Um, there's no visa requirement there or for us citizens. Um, you just need a valid passport. Um, the lo- the nearest airport unless you have a lot of money and can take a really nice helicopter there, um, you fly into Nice, which is on the southern coast of France. And then you um, can either take an Uber or um, a taxi into the actual uh, Monaco, uh, the principality of Monaco. Excellent. Well, that sounds really good. So let's talk about some pre- vacation information that we that we wanted to know so you were going there in october what kind of stuff did you need to pre-pack for this type of a trip um i would recommend so monaco is a really hilly location it's on it's a big cliff stuck onto a mountain so i um having been there before i would totally recommend packing um like really good walking shoes or whatever you normally walk in I like to walk in flip-flops, which sounds weird, but um, (laughs) walking shoes, comfortable clothes for the day. So during the day, it's very casual. People, um, especially for tourists, everyone's just walking around in like jeans and t-shirts and whatever. Um, At that time of the year, it was a tiny bit rainy, but um, I was basically wearing like fall clothes, maybe a little bit um, warmer. So probably what you guys would normally wear in Southern California for a cooler day. Um, and then at night, I, the restaurants are casual, but on like kind of the more European casual way. So a little bit fancier than what you would see at somewhere in the U S um, maybe a sundress or something like that for a woman. 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily say you would need a jacket anywhere. With the exception, if you were to go to the casino, so the world-famous Monte Carlo Casino, um, they do have a dress code. Um, so before, if anyone wanted to go there, I would highly recommend going to their website just to check it out to get some additional information because they are very strict on that. So I would double-check that. Perfect. And so which airport did you leave out of? Did you leave out of JFK or different airport? Um, I, I actually was flying from Geneva, um, for oh. that trip, but in general, I leave out of Newark, okay. um, and I hate flying through Charles de Gaulle because it's just a way too big of an airport. Yeah. So the last one of the last times I went, I went from Newark to Brussels, Brussels to Monaco or to Nice. Okay, perfect. Now, in this last particular trip, you flew from Geneva to Nice directly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, uh, but you're normally leaving out of BWI or, uh, not, I'm sorry, not BWI, but, uh, Newark. Um, and so yeah. as part of that, cause I, and I just to let you know, I used to live in Jersey city myself. So for me, that was just the most convenient thing to do. And there's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's not as crowded. I don't feel like JFK is at least. No, it's not. And Newark, I can, for my house, I can get to Newark in like 15 to 20 minutes. And since I've been traveling so much, I know like exactly how to, get in and out as quickly as possible. Um, but I will say for those who want to get to Monaco as quickly as possible, um, there are direct flights from the U.S. to Monaco or to Nice. They don't run very often, and they're usually through Air France. Um, I know for the East Coast, there's one that leaves out of JFK that goes direct to Nice. Um, so if you're looking to make it a very quick, like an eight-hour, maybe a seven-and-a-half-hour flight, um, that's always an option. If that's not an option for you, um, there are a lot of different connections that go to Monaco. The last time I, as I said, I left out of Geneva, I actually took EasyJet. So it was, it was super cheap. I think it was a hundred euro to go from Geneva to Monaco. It's maybe an hour long flight. So it's super, super easy. That strikes me um, as insane that there's like people over here in the States, like for my students who don't understand what EasyJet is or what Ryanair is, they don't really, I don't think, grasp it. So I think the closest thing I can equate it to here in the States might be like Southwest Airlines or maybe JetBlue, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's probably like maybe not as nice as JetBlue, but more like Frontier okay. or Southwest or something like that. So they do a lot of very short flights that are not very expensive, but you pay for everything. So if you've ever been on Frontier, you'll pay to check your luggage you'll pay to board the plane at a certain time. It's the same with EasyJet, but what's nice is that they end up having um, space at a lot of airports that are at smaller locations. Um, so you can get to those like unique locations without having to spend a ton. Perfect, okay. And for transportation during this last trip, uh, did the hotel that you were in in Geneva just shuttle you over to the airport or? Um, I took an Uber. I kind of rely on Uber a lot. Um, one of my main reasons for doing so is that I don't speak any other language. So trying to explain to someone where I'm going is sometimes challenging. And so it's a lot easier just to type in the address into my phone and have Uber come. So I took Uber from my hotel in Geneva to the airport um, in Geneva, which it's a super small airport. It, it takes you very little time to get through security. Um, and then it's about an hour long trip from Geneva to Nice. Excellent. Uh, just out of curiosity, how long were you in Geneva for? 
Um, for that trip, I was there from Tuesday to Sunday. Okay. And then how long were you in Monte Carlo for? Um, until Thursday morning. Okay, cool. Um, so then, so you go, so you get on EasyJet, you get to your destination. Um, I assume there's no pre-vacation destinations. It's pretty much just a straight shot there. Is that correct? Okay, perfect. And again, you're going for business, so I shouldn't say vacations, but when we travel, you know, so I oftentimes refer to it as a vacation just because we're not in the place that we started from. And so... (laughs) No, it makes sense. And there's always, there are some perks associated with it. So there there are vacation aspects. Absolutely. Um, So what kind of accommodations did you have in Monte Carlo? So um, we stay, we like to stay as close to the office as possible. Um, There's a really great hotel um called the columbus it's uh monte carlo columbus i think um that is not in so there's like the downtown area of monte carlo which is where the casino is and very high-end hotels are over there and then um we're on the kind of i guess it's the south side of that um so there's like a cliff in between us but you're still in the monaco principale and it's a walking distance to um, our office, but it also is right next to the ocean. So most of the hotel rooms have this great view of the Mediterranean, a view of this great rose garden that's dedicated to Princess Grace that sits up right outside of the hotel. The rooms are really spacious and beautiful. They're recently redone and the breakfast is amazing that comes with your room. So. Yeah, um, in fact, I don't know that we're so used to that here in the states as much as when you're in Europe. now. They're like over here, we may have like a continental, like whatever, hair, have a muffin or whatever on your way out. Yeah. Um, but in Europe, they do it pretty swell. Um, in fact, I remember um, on that cruise that we went on together, um, I was in Rome, and the hotel that we were at had this um, just an amazing spread of pretty much anything you could possibly want. From eggs to like, I can't even remember what it's called. Uh, I think it begins with a P. It's like some kind of a little yogurt thing that they put fruit on top of, and it's not a parfait. Oh, the parfaits. No, it's not. Uh, a yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, but it's r- much smaller, and they use like a little tiny spoon in order to get into it. It's, it whatever it is, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to figure it out later on. But for me, the syrup <laughs> is just spectacular. I've never had a. Yeah, the breakfast. They have a legit nice breakfast with like. Homemade croissants and oh, yeah. like everything you would expect. And the food in Europe, I, I keep trying to tell people here in the States, a lot of the food in Europe, especially Italy and in France, there's not a lot of things that are like it here in the U.S. I mean, you're lucky that you live out in New York, so you have a lot of the best food. You, know, you have some really good dining options where you're at. I have a lot of good dining options here in Southern California. But honestly, you know, like going to Italy and having food, like it's real Italian food is mm-hmm. an experience. What kind of stuff do they have like food wise in Monte Carlo? I would imagine. Like, so what's actually really cool about the location is that because you're so close to Italy, you get a lot of Italians who are born and bred in Italy and make like their homemade Italian food in restaurants. And so it's really good Italian food is what we normally have eaten. Yeah. Um, there are French restaurants and there are a lot of seafood restaurants because you're on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that we went to and we keep going back to are a lot of the Italian restaurants um, that have 
Like they give you the menu, but really what you order off of are their specials every day. So those change. It's a lot of really good fresh fish, fresh vegetables. And because like I've now been to Monte Carlo, I've been to Geneva, and everyone I think probably assumes that that Monte Carlo is very expensive. It actually was cheaper than Geneva. So for anyone who wants to... I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was, I was going to actually interrupt you there, and I apologize. I, I is it okay for purposes of this vlog and this podcast, since it's part of the same trip that you were on? Do you mind if I link Geneva to this as well and ask you a couple questions about that as we go along? Yeah, of course. That's fine. Okay, I'm sorry, but again, please continue. We were talking about the price differences in in Monte Carlo and what people's perceptions were. Yeah. No. So. Um, I think I had this misconception that all the restaurants and everything in Monte Carlo was going to be really expensive. And because of that, the food was either going to be unattainable or whatever. But the food was better, I thought, in Monte Carlo and cheaper by a lot. So um, don't get too scared off by the fact that it's Monte Carlo. Like they have things that are edible and that are not super expensive. Um, and the, it's, but at the same time, it's very European. Um, there, like we had a salad for lunch, food was brought into the office. It's, it's not as, um, I don't know, it's not as over, over the top as Paris, in my opinion, but um, I overall thought the food was really good. Perfect. Let me take a step back so at least we could be kind of at the same destination points. Um, so you left from Newark, you went to Geneva, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And in Geneva, what what kind of accommodations did you have there? What was the hotel you were staying at in Geneva? Um, it, that hotel was named Hotel D. Um, it is like three blocks away from the Geneva train station. So I was there again for work. And we have two facilities in Geneva, one that's farther away from the train station and one that's actually in a different city. It's in a, a small town called Bersois. So, um, or Bersois, sorry. So we needed to be able to take the train every morning um, to get to the office, but also take the tram to go to the other office. So this was like a strategic location. Um, it's a smaller, somewhat boutique hotel that's only been opened for two or three years. The rooms are really sizable. Um, they, again, have a really nice, um, like, high-end breakfast. Not as glamorous as the Monte Carlo one, but so good. Um, and unlike... Um, the one in, in Monaco, there's no bar and they don't really do dinner. Um, so it's much more of a, you come in, you have a really nice breakfast, um, but then you kind of do your thing during the day. And then when you go home, you go to sleep or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's not, the hotel's relatively inexpensive for Geneva. Um, but on as a caveat, it's not really in the greatest neighborhood. The surrounding area to the Geneva train station is what you would expect outside any major train station that's not usually known as the high-end district. Um, so that's, that's my only caveat to that hotel. And how was, how was train travel in the Geneva area? Uh, super easy. They, um, I'm not sure why, but when you stay at any hotel in Geneva, they end up giving you like a free pass for their train station for their trains and also for their um, their trams that run constantly. So you have this pass for as long as you're there, um, and you just hold on to it. There, it's 
you don't actually like go to a ticket machine to get a ticket. You just hold on to this pass and every once in a while, somebody will come and, and verify that you have a ticket. Um, but it's not every single time. It's not every single day. It's, it's kind of just on an honor system, but the trains run constantly. Um, they, you can take it to the airport if you wanted to, you could take it to any of the surrounding villages. Um, most people use them as a way to commute. Um, you'll also see like a ton of kids on them. Um, they're way cleaner than I think what any commuter train that you would see in the U S. Um, like they're all new. They have Wi-Fi. They have places to plug in to, um, charge things. And in Geneva, at least most people speak English or at least, um, like the conductors or people that are working in the train station. So if you ever have questions, there are numerous people who can ask, you can ask. Um, so it's, it's relatively straightforward. The tram system in Geneva is a little bit more complicated. Um, it's almost like a subway system. You just kind of have to get to you, get used to it and ask questions. Is it similar to like the path train station over in New, in, uh, New Jersey and New York? Um, the, it's a nicer than that. I don't, or is it more like, a is it like a light rail system or how would you describe it? The, the trams are like a light rail system. Okay. Um, that stop like very often the train stations, a, a real train station. Um, and it has like shops in it and you can get breakfast on your way. There was a Starbucks that we went to every day. There's a grocery store. Um, yeah, it's very, I don't know. By the train station. What? Say that again. Did you say there was a grocery store inside the train station? Yeah. Oh, like there's usually a grocery store, like near train stations. I've realized they, I I think a lot of people will, um, commute home and then like go to the, go to the grocery store on their way home with dinner. That makes sense. Then I can, I can understand that. Okay, cool. So, all right. So you spend your time in work. <clears throat> was there any entertainment uh, or things that you would do nightlife wise when you were in Geneva to start with? Um, so Geneva is not known for its nightlife. Um, just going <laughs> to well, put so that about, out there. What about the food as well? Um, so their restaurants are, at, I'm going to say, are definitely more expensive. Um, we ended up, we would go, so sorry. I was staying farther away from Lake Geneva, which is kind of the main draw for Geneva. There's this big lake and then there's this water thing that water fountain thing that sticks out of the lake, something like 200 meters in the air. It's what everyone goes to Geneva to see. Um, It's very pretty. It's surrounded by these huge mountains. You see the Alps. It's really pretty. Um, So that's where a lot of the restaurants are so that you can see that. Um, there's also an old town in Geneva. It's kind of like up on one of the mountains. It's not really a mountain, it's a hill. Um, that's where it looks more like an older European city with the streets more narrow together. Like all the restaurants are a little bit more small. Um, there are boutique hotels up there. That's where I've walked around before and really kind of liked Geneva. Um, kids are playing soccer or football and the, and the alleyways, it's much more quaint and nice. Um, when you're in the more modern section of Geneva, that's where you're going to find all the shopping. So a lot of, like, every high-end retailer you could ever imagine is there. 
There's a huge Burberry store. There's a huge Tiffany's. There's a Petite Philippe store. They have a Petite Philippe um, museum, which is a high-end watch company. Um, they have chocolate stores everywhere. So if you like chocolate, this yeah. is a place to go. Um, <laughs> chocolate everywhere. Um, the biggest caveat that I'm going to warn everyone about Geneva is that things close very early there. Mm. Um, they Most stores close either by six or seven mm. uh, at night. And if not earlier on the weekend, on Thursdays are usually their late night. And that usually means that they close at eight. So I wonder why that is. Um, restaurants stay open later, bars stay open later, but don't think you're going to go and do like evening shopping because nothing will be open. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to know. Thank you for sharing that. What kind of cuisine do they primarily have over there? So you can get some really great fondue, you know, it's Switzerland. So cheese is everywhere, which is great. Um, they also do a lot of beef. Um, they have lots of cows, i.e. the cheese. And so there's a lot of really good steak restaurants. Um, you could, we went one place where you could, um, two colleagues shared what we like to uh, like jokingly say was an entire cow. Um, it was a lot, a lot of meat, but it was really good. <laughs> we, we also found a lot of Italian restaurants. Again, seems to be an easy thing. Um, but one of the places that we've gone back time and time again is uh, one of, it's like a Persian restaurant. It had uh, Moroccan and Lebanese food. Oh. So not really Persian, but, um, but nicely spiced, family owned, small, um, cheaper. But it was, it's always really good. We go there every single time we're in Geneva. Um, so that I would definitely recommend. I will definitely. Uh, it's called Nomads. Oh, I was going to say, I'm definitely going to have to contact you the next time you go because you sound like <laughs> all the good spots to go to. So definitely want to touch I, So I have learned, so in the New York City area, we use Yelp and Google um, reviews and everything to figure out where to eat and whatever. None of those, that really works in Europe. <laughs> Um, or at least not that I found, I've always used TripAdvisor. Yeah. It seems that TripAdvisor for restaurants is where most people write their reviews. So for anyone that's traveling in Europe, I know it sounds like it's, you're just going to end up in touristy restaurants. You don't always, but TripAdvisor is usually the best location of reviews that are in English if you really need to find a place to eat. Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about some of the um, itinerary that you had starting with Geneva over the course of the few days, obviously I know you're working during the days, but during the evenings, is it primarily just restaurants or did you, um, did you make yeah, it? Was, it was primarily restaurants. Um, when I, the last time I was this past time I was in Geneva, it almost rained every night. So it was very quick dinners that we would like run out and get because it poured. Um, so it wasn't super exciting. I was there over a weekend um, by myself. And that was the day that I walked the entire city, walked up to, um, the old town quarter walked. They have a bunch of museums that I didn't go into. Sorry. Um, you <laughs> could go and look at the UN if you wanted to, because that's Geneva is where, um, the UN is located. Um, so you could go and see all of that. Um, but I, I just really liked sit, uh, walking around it's very much a sidewalk and cafe culture. So I sat out 
at this really nice big um, outdoor cafe and had a glass of rosé just watching and I actually read a book. It was very chill. It's kind of what a lot of people end up doing. So um, that's kind of the way that I like to experience smaller cities in Europe, get to know what people are doing by just like sitting outside more. Mm-hmm. And in contrast, to um, how would you say uh, your evenings were in Monte Carlo? So you're, as I said, you're right on the beach. And so it's, it's really, well, there's not really a beach. You're right on a cliff. And so you walk a lot just along the ocean. There's all this great breeze. Um, we, because we were there for work, it's not like we went to the casino or did anything like super sparkly exciting, but we did walk, like we took an, um, so when you're in Monte Carlo, you, they don't do Ubers actually in the Principality, you have to get a taxi. Um, so we took a taxi to a different restaurant and on our way back, we walked kind of far back to the hotel because the people I was with, a lot of them really like formula one racing. And so Monte Carlo is known for the big um, car race once a year. And as you're walking, you're on the, the route that the cars go on and it's super curvy and crazy. Um, so they all thought that was really fun. Nice, very cool. So um, over the course of the few days, um, did you happen to get any museums while you were in Monte Carlo at all? Or was it pretty much just restaurants, bars, and you know, the occasional walking, uh, walking routes? So I went um, the Sunday that I got there, um, I checked into the hotel and then um, I decided to go for a run and I ran down to um, kind of closer to where the casino is. Mm -hmm. Um, They seem to have right by where all the big, um, like at the, what's it called? Marina, where all the yachts are, they have um, kind of a big fair set up there. It's now been the third time I've been there that that fair's there. I don't know if it's permanently there, but it has like lots of kid rides and lots of booths that you can go in. So I walked around that, but if you, there's a path that you can walk all the way up to the very top of Monte Carlo and that's where um, the palace is. So if you ever wanted to see where the real like princess of of Monte Carlo lives, that's where she lives now. Um, So you can walk up there and see the guards um and walk around their gardens that they have up there that are beautiful um it was a sunday so you can actually go into them i don't i think there is a tour you can go in um but i'm not 100 percent sure and within up there um up where the palace is there's also an ocean oceanography museum um that it has really great reviews it was closing by the time i got up there so i didn't get to see it um, it's the Jacques Cousteau Museum. Oh, nice. So it's supposed to be great, though. It's like an aquarium, and, and it's literally on a massive cliff overlooking the Mediterranean. Well, that sounds like a lot of wonderful things. I, it, it's great that you're able to enjoy those perks of being able to enjoy some of the locations, even though you're there for work. Um, it, that's just – that's really great. I'm, I'm glad you had an opportunity to do that. And it sounds like you go there actually fairly regularly. Is that correct? Um, it was a lot for the past, like, six months, yeah. Um, I don't, maybe it will be the same in the coming future, but yeah, I've gotten pretty familiar with it. Um, I know how to get to restaurants without a map now, so that's exciting. (laughs) Okay, and, um, speaking of travels, um, so now, now we're getting ready for returning to the States. Um, I, which, uh, airline are you taking back to the States? Is it the same one? Um, 
It was United. So um, I, I am very loyal when it comes to points. So I try to stay within the United family of airlines. Um, but the biggest thing, the biggest watch out that I would give anyone from a Monte Carlo perspective is, as I said, they don't allow Uber to pick anyone up in Monte Carlo. So you kind of have two options. You can ask your hotel to get you um, a taxi. And I will fully admit, though that's really simple and fast and the driver's always really nice, it is super expensive. Yeah. Um, it was more than twice what I paid on the way to Monte Carlo and the, and the Uber, and it was the same exact route. Wow. The other thing that I've heard people do is because of where the hotel was located, we were literally, I don't know, a less than a half a mile from the border of like where Monte Carlo ends. So a lot of people will, will just take a stroll to that side and then call the Uber. Ah. A lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. There's one other option that I failed to, to um, add is that there are, are helicopters that leave from the Nice airport to uh, Monte Carlo. And it's, I've only done it once and it's great. And it's about $150 per person. Um, and it takes eight minutes. The, the train ride, or sorry, the Uber ride can take anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour. Um, they have really, really tiny streets. And so if there are accidents, you can get stuck for hours. Yeah. Um, so the helicopter is always an option. <laughs> and it doesn't sound, it, 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 I, I got to confess, I thought it would be more expensive than about $150 or $150. No. So there are times when, um, if you're really in a rush, my company actually will say you're okay to take the tax of the, um, the helicopter because it's not significantly more than what you would pay for a taxi. Okay. Not bad. All right. So you're heading back on United. Um, I assume, uh, how was, how was passport control on the way back? Um, so there's no real, um, there's no real passport control because I wasn't going direct to the U S. So I was flying from uh, Nice to Frankfurt, I believe. And so it's what for the U.S., for U.S. people, you would be going through passport control um, and immigration, everything when you hit um, the when you went to Germany and we're heading toward your flight to go to the U.S. So thankfully, unlike the U.S., you can check your luggage all the way through so you don't have to pick it up again in Frankfurt. You would just um, go through passport control. I would recommend leaving yourself at least an hour. Um, sometimes there are long lines, sometimes not. And then you fly home from Frankfurt and I got into Newark. Um, and it all depends on whether or not you have global entry or if, if you have like special status that you can go on like one of the faster lanes. But sometimes Newark can be really fast and then sometimes it can't. It all depends. I was going to ask, are you a global entry member? I am. And I, I, try to get everyone I know on it yeah <laughs> I'm the same way I my, myself and my husband we both have it now and you know we had we had a situation a couple of years ago where I had it but he did not so it's like oh he can't come with me through the global entry line and so I ended up getting through in 15 minutes he, he ends up taking 45 minutes through LAX it's like oh we yeah we're not going to deal with that again so we got him global entry no yeah pretty easy to get I recommend it to everyone it's totally worth it um I breathe, I can, at JFK, I had gotten it down to, I could get off of the plane if I wasn't checking luggage through global entry and into an Uber within 15 minutes. Oh so. my gosh. That's great. Yeah. 
I, I was like, I want to go home. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the post-vacation and post-business vacation um, moments and some takeaways. Um, what would be, in your opinion, what are some of the pros of traveling to a place like Geneva or Monte Carlo? Uh, because they're relatively well-known regions that are that have a lot of tourists, a lot of people speak English. Okay. So if you're not, if you don't speak French or if you're not very good at languages, um, you can still get around without too many problems. Um, the signs are in English or at least in characters that you can recognize and sometimes figure out. Um, most of the restaurants will have a, an English version of the rest of the menu or somebody within the restaurant will be able to pantomime enough of what the food is to get you where you want to go. Um, the other benefit is in both regions, in both locations, actually, that's not the case, sorry. For Monte Carlo, you're using the Euro, so that's pretty straightforward. You can get it very easily. And uh, Geneva, it's Switzerland, which is not technically part of the EU also, and they use the Swiss franc, and that's kind of frustrating, but it's not too <laughs> difficult. What's the exchange rate on something like that? Do you know what the Swiss franc is around? Um, it's about one-to-one, if I remember correctly. Um, they're just everything there is just a little bit more expensive. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I, I get it. Um, obviously the price is something that people need to be aware of when they're traveling abroad. Um, and that's obviously with Geneva, it sounds like that was a big issue there for you. Um, are there any other types of things that you would suggest to my students that they should be aware of when they're traveling to those two locations? Um, so I, I know that at one point, a lot of people used to go to their banks ahead of time to get cash. Um, I've always found it found to just use an ATM in whatever country you are, you'll get the best exchange rate. Um, everything translates into English. I would just let your bank know that you're going to be traveling so they don't shut off your credit card. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Both those regions or both those countries are very, um, some places take credit cards, but not all. So I would always try to have some cash on hand, um, especially if you want to run into like a convenience store or anything like that for like a bottled water. Um, cash is definitely helpful in those two countries. Um, I mean, neither both of them are relatively safe. I never felt um, uncomfortable walking around either of the countries. Um, I spent an, almost an entire weekend in Geneva by myself, walking around by myself. I never had any problems. Um, the same can be true in, in Monte Carlo. Um, I would walk around at night. Though, so, like, if you're if you're not comfortable doing this, then don't do it. But having lived outside New York City most of my life, I just I never felt uncomfortable in either of those two countries. Um, is there anything else? Um, no, like the people are really nice. I never had a problem with the people. Um, I wish I could tell you guys like really great things to buy um, as souvenirs. The only thing I can think of in Geneva is chocolate. Um, and in Monte Carlo, I mean, I guess cheese. I don't know. I'm a huge cheese fan. I mean, I, chocolate and cheese are like two of my favorite things in the entire world. So if I can ship yeah, the U.S. I really like cheese. I, I would, I would, I would, just, they have to take away my credit cards. I'm telling you right now. It, it would be bad. Well, if you buy it in duty free, you're usually fine. And they have cheese in duty free. So. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Thanks. That, that's actually a really good, that's a really good option there. Um, and that's actually getting into my last point here, as far as value adds and cost savings and best practices. Uh, do you find that buying through duty-free is usually like, cause it seems like every time I go to an airport, the duty-free 
it's pretty much almost the exact same stuff. It's always the alcohol. It's always yeah. the smokes. It's always the, um, you know, maybe a little bit of, oh gosh, what else? Um, like I don't really see a lot of it's always cosmetic. <laughs> I see a lot of chocolate. I see a lot of chocolate when I go to places. Yeah. Um, definitely any type of alcohol you could probably imagine, and the smokes they have like the cigarettes. Yeah, I end up buying and duty free. I try to find things that I can't get in the U.S., so there might be specific brands that I can't get here or um, varietals of alcohol. Like at one point when I was in the summer, when I was in Europe this summer, they were all about flavored gin, which was a big thing there, but not as big here. So I ended up buying a whole bunch of flavored gin and bringing it home um, just to try it. So, and it wasn't expensive. So um, I usually just walk around and do that. I used to be obsessed with buying uh, gummy bears because I think they taste differently from, from Europe. Yeah. Um, but I've kind of gotten over that now, kind of, not really. <laughs> um, but besides that, I don't really, I try not to shop a lot in duty free. So. Okay, cool. Well, again, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us, Katie. I, I really means the world to me, to my students out there. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, definitely make sure to hit the, hit the bell in order to get notifications when new videos are coming up or hit the thumbs up in order to give us a like, or you can, of course, subscribe. I appreciate it. If you're listening to us on the podcast, please, by all means, give us a good rating. We really like it and we really appreciate it. It gets us, um, you know, definitely a lot more viewership. And so I, any, anything you can do to help is greatly appreciated. Um, again, Katie, I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, to my students, if you have any questions, comments, you can always send me a quick email at scott at theprofessortravel.com. If, and again, I will get back with you as quickly as I can on every one of those. So until the next time, students, thank you so much and make every day a travel adventure. Bye-bye now. The Professor Travel is a broadcast from Orange County, California. A transcript of each podcast may be requested by contacting the Professor Travel at his website, theprofessortravel.com. For opportunities to work with the Professor Travel, feel free to contact Scott at theprofessortravel.com or contact us through YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook at The Professor Travel or Twitter at the Professor TR1. Make every day a great day to have a travel adventure.